Good evening. Thank you for making the effort to be here tonight for the service. It's been a privilege to share the scriptures with you over the course of the last few days. Please turn into the book of Romans with me once more, into chapter 8, for a Bible reading. This evening's message, whilst much of what we will look at comes from Romans 8, we're going to stray into other parts of the text, other, other books, into the Old Testament, to build our understanding of the doctrine of adoption. Let's read Romans 8, beginning at verse 14. And down to verse, I think, 23. Verse 14, Romans 8, For as many as, as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who had subjected the same in hope because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you loved us in such a way that you would send your son to pay for our sins on the cross of Calvary and that you would purpose in your mind and in your divine plan to adopt sinners saved by grace into your family. And the wonder of adoption is such a, a striking visual and emotional picture for us. I pray that we might be able to understand more fully your heart and mind towards your people as we meditate and think upon the truth that you have saved us and brought us into your family. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of the most comforting and encouraging truths in Scripture is this doctrine of adoption. Most saints would understand that we've been forgiven for sin, that we've been cleared, we've been delivered, and we stand not under condemnation but free in Christ. But many Christians don't grasp the significance of adoption and the wonder and the the tenderness of it indeed it is one of the priceless crown jewels of our great salvation the word adoption is filled with grace and mercy you may know of family in this world that have adopted children not their own that have opened their homes they've opened their lives to show love tenderness and care to children who are without love tenderness and care and are in desperate need some families might adopt children from poorer countries to try and give them a life and a hope and a future. We see families adopting children out of abusive situations where the home, the home life is terrible and the children need a, a safe place. But adoption is a, an emotional picture. It is a blessed picture of grace, tenderness and mercy. Suppose while God was planning 
redemption for his children. Redemption, I shouldn't even say for his children. But suppose back before the foundation of the world, the, the, the Father, the Son and the Spirit are, are planning salvation. And they think and plan and reason and decide that they, God, will, will rescue and redeem fallen sinners and free them from their sin and take them from their decrepitude or their brokenness and make them majestic. Maybe, and this is only hypothetically, or can you imagine that they would make man, sinful man, he would make sinful man like unto the angels. Would you like to be an angel? Pretty powerful, pretty remarkable, being able to move without really showing your movement to wings and wings and faces and all kinds of power that we know very little of. Would you like it if God's plan of salvation was to take sinners and make them angels? Sounds pretty remarkable. But more remarkable than that would be to take sinners and make them sons. Because that is an entirely next level of grace. Because to make one different from what they are and make them powerful, yes, that takes power, but to make them one of your own and to welcome you at the, your table and your family, that takes kindness and grace beyond power. Adoption is far more miraculous and far more tender than even the power that would. And by the way, we have been made greater than the angels in our, in our privileges. We have a relationship with God that the angels can only dream about. Yet we have that privilege to come boldly before his throne. We have the privilege to call him Abba, Father. The angels don't talk to God like we are able to talk to God. Do you, we see the, the tenderness of the picture now. We're starting to see the preciousness of our adoption into his family. The plan was not just to make us something special, but make us something precious, the apple of his eye, something that God loves, he sets his affection on, he rescues, redeems and brings to his table. And as I, given the place of a son, that is remarkable. We don't deserve that. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that just humble you this evening? To think that your standing in Christ is one as an adopted son with the privileges of sonship, the privileges of an inheritance, joint inheritance with Christ. It is, it is a sobering and humbling truth. Adoption is a legal action today where we might take someone who's not part of our family and, and bring them into our family and grant them the privileges of being our true child. Now, what I'd like to do for us this evening is glance back into the Old Testament and consider adoption back there because there's some lovely illustrative passages for us. You might think of Moses. You say, was Moses adopted? He was raised in Pharaoh's courts. He was born a Hebrew and raised an Egyptian. He was raised by the princess. She cared for him as her own. I know that the, the Lord worked it out in such a way that Miriam was there and got a, a nurse and it so happened that mother could care for for son in a precious way in the early stages of life. But there's a picture of an adoption there in Moses in Exodus 2. It, Esther comes to mind, or Hadassah, who was cared for by Mordecai, who raised her as his own daughter. So there's a picture there of Mordecai opening his home and caring for Hadassah or Esther after her father and mother died. You can read about that in Esther 2 and see those details. But what I would like for us to do is turn to 2 Samuel, please, and think about what is, I believe, a greater picture of adoption. 
2 Samuel chapter 9. Because here we see parallels which can only remind us of our, ourselves and our standing with God. The shadow is so sharp and clear. This is the time we read about where King David adopted the son of his evil, proud, jealous, murderous enemy and welcomed him at his own table and gave him hope, provision, a future that he had no hope of outside of the grace of the king. We're talking about Mephibosheth. Have a look here from verse 1 of chapter 9. We'll read from 1 to 13. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was one, uh, there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they called unto him, they called him unto David. The king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. The king said, Is there not any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machiah, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And David saw too to fetch Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth tells us there that he's lame in his feet. And if you follow the story, it was at a time of battle and the nurse was carrying Mephibosheth at the age of five, if I remember rightly, and fleeing because there was the noise and the sound of battle and dropped, fell and dropped Mephibosheth and injured him to the point where he was lame from that point on. And if you were lame in those days, that would have been a stigma. It would have been a, a handicap, obviously, but it also would have been something that would prohibit you from being seen in, in, like in, in illustrious public spaces. You would not get an entrance to the palace of the king if you were lame. Kings don't surround themselves with broken people. You realize that? They put the beautiful people next to them. They surround themselves with the rich and the illustrious. They don't surround themselves with beggars broken. They don't normally surround themselves with the sons of their enemies either. You know what kings do to the sons of their enemies? They kill them because the son of my enemy will become my enemy. Once he finds the grounds, the means, the power to rise against me, he will to take vengeance upon me for slaying or, or overthrowing his father. The son of your enemy is your enemy. But for David, he shows kindness for Jonathan's sake on Mephibosheth. Verse 5, the king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil the, uh, from Lodabar. Now, I can only imagine how Mephibosheth felt when he was summoned. Verse 6, now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. What do you think he thinks is going to happen here? He reckoned his life is over. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? You ever seen yourself as a dead dog in the sight of God or, or in the presence of God? You feel that way, don't you? you can you feel Mephibosheth here in the, in the presence of the king? Why would you look upon me with such grace? Why would you do this for me? I don't deserve it. The king called to him, called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to the house, to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. 
Thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread all way at my table. Now, Zebra had 15 sons and 20 servants. Look, the picture is plain, isn't it? The parallels are striking. The grace of the king for the broken man, his enemy, once his enemy, now adopted into the family in a sense that he's welcome at the table. David took the initiative, just like God took the initiative. Um, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If he didn't come to rescue us, would you have rescued you? No. We were helpless and hopeless, but the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. David took the initiative and found Mephibosheth. God took the initiative, sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. David showed mercy to, those who, to the man that was unworthy. The descendant of an evil enemy and the Lord takes mercy, shows mercy upon those that are at enmity with him. We are, the scriptures say, lost people are at war, are the enemies of God. Yet God shows mercy, kindness. The Lord doesn't seek children for his family that somehow commend themselves. David could have adopted any manner of bright and, and noble men into the family. Most people would welcome the invitation from the king to sit at his table, and kings would do this. But rarely would a king, in fact, I can't think of another king who would do something like this, that would welcome the broken and the lame into his presence. But God does just that. He takes the... So David does that and God does too. God has chosen to rescue and redeem those that were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, following their master, allowing the spirit of disobedience to bear the fruit of disobedience. We were living that way when God sent his son. His great mercy motivated him to send his son. David showed kindness and blessing do you know what Mephibosheth means, the name? It means this, dispeller of shame. It would be like one who dispels the shame of Baal. He's named, after, named by his father Jonathan, who probably when he was naming Mephibosheth thought that he would, he would cut down the shame of idols, that he would be used as one to dispel the shame of the nation for their false worship or their worship of false gods. But a man named Dispeller of Shame was a shame in his lame condition. I didn't even mean that to rhyme. I apologise. That was a complete accident. <laughs> not, not trying to be cute. The, the, can you imagine having that name? It's like Mighty One, but you're a weakling. <laughs> like, and you have to walk around with your name that means that. And people look at you and go... That doesn't add up, but Mephibosheth, he did not live up to his name. He was living, you read it, we read it there, in a place called Lodabar. It means uh, a no, place of no pasture, in a, no place, an empty place, a no place. He was a, a nobody from no place who was not living up to his name, but David chose to show mercy. And that's how God adopts. It's an Old Testament picture of adoption. Jump over into first century Rome in your minds. In the time that Paul was writing, adoption was a practice. And you might be surprised to know that adopted children were often more honoured than natural children. Children were kind of 
if they were promising, they would be valued. If they were wastes of space, they would be rejected by their families or, or influential people. The love of father to son wasn't very prevalent in Roman culture. It was more of a convenience. And if a father had three sons and they were all unlikely candidates to take over the family inheritance, he'd go and adopt a better option and make him the heir for his heritage. And the natural born sons would look at each other and go, well, why not us? But that would be normal in Roman culture in the first century. So an adopted son is actually, in that culture, would have been an honoured one, a, a noble one, a capable one, someone that shows maybe biz, business acumen. You know, this, we need someone to run the business. So these boys are no good. Let me adopt someone who's going to do the job. So they've commended themselves somehow by their own, their ability. The consequences, by the way, in the Roman world, you would be chosen and you would be adopted and you would be given the privileges and the rights of sonship. You would be treated as an equal with the natural born children. In fact, likely in the Roman culture, you would have been chosen to be the first, the, the, the one who got the first part of the inheritance. You know, it's interesting that according to Roman adoption, the, the adopted person lost all rights of his own family. He ceased to be the son of his natural parents and legally and for all arguments became the son of the adoptive parents. His old life ended and the new life began. So much so that if he had debts, they were cancelled. If he had crimes, they were pardoned. It was a big deal to adopt someone into your family. The, the old life ended, the new life began. An adopted person was really regarded as a new person with no life and no past. And they would treat the adopted person uh, literally and absolutely the son of a new father in every sense. It's, there's some pictures in Roman first century adoption that show the wonder and really it's not that in, in that day they would adopt people because they saw something in them that was worthy but we're adopted not because they, that God sees something in us that's worthy. It's like Mephibosheth all over again. It's because he desires to show grace and mercy and rescue and show love and tenderness and compassion. And God is much like King David to Mephibosheth in relation to us. Let's have a think about adoption in the New Testament. Turn please to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2 verse 19, just looking at the one verse. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What were you like outside of Christ? Stranger, foreigner, separate, but now in Christ, fellow citizens with the saints and part of the household of God. Trusting Christ immediately moves you from the relationship of a stranger and a foreigner to a son and part of it. I say son, but sons and daughters. Let's, we understand that. Children of the Most High, part of the royal family. When Jesus spoke, answering a question, one of the disciples, and I think, you know, Matthew 12 is where I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of this. One of the disciples, I think it was, says, you know, your mother and your brother, they're waiting for you. Do you remember what he said? He answered and said unto him that told him, who is, and he said, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, behold my mother and my brethren, 
For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Jesus was pointing to those followers of his. He said, These are, this is my family. As a believer, you become God's child. The family relationship is so tight that God looks at you as though you are his son or his daughter. Spiritually speaking, and we can see this in John, we become the sons and daughters of God. As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born again. Have you heard uh, politicians maybe... We're all God's children. If you ever, we don't really hear God mentioned even by Australian politicians. Americans do it a little bit. We're all God's children. Have you ever come across that notion? We're all created by, we're all God's children. We are all God's creation, but no, not all people are God's children. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ as Saviour and have received salvation, those are adopted into His family. We are His children. Adoption uh, regeneration of being born again is the way of entering into the family. Adoptions, kind of the standings and the privileges you receive as you are born again. It's the act of God by which he gives us the privileges and the standing of a son. And he gives us the privileges and standing of an adult son. You realize we have adult responsibilities as children of God. We are, we're not given, this isn't a picture of being adopted as a little child into the family. No, this is a, an adult standing, a legal transaction, an adoption and a welcoming where we stand as a son with an inheritance. Some people will say things like, oh, I've only been saved a few years, I'm still trying to work. You're a son with privileges and responsibilities. You are adopted into the family of God. Um, and that happens by the Spirit the moment we're saved. The instant we're saved, we're born into his family given an adult standing. Go back to Romans with me again, please, to verse 14, chapter 8. Look at verse 14, and we see some of the privileges of adoption mentioned here. With that summary and a little bit of an overview, and a, verse four, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I mentioned this morning that I think that's likely a declaration of those that... Uh, mind the things of the, the, the spirit to those that take on the character of their father and they are sons indeed but then from here he goes on to talk about the privileges of sons verse 15 for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry abba father the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god joint heirs with christ if so be that we suffer with him we may also be glorified together. We have the privileges of adoption. We are able to be led by the Spirit. You can't lead someone that you don't have the relationship with or, or God here is expressing his, his ability to lead us, not like babies, but as like, as like men, women, sons and daughters, adult sons and daughters with adult privileges. A child is under rules. Bondage, but an adult son is 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 free to function as a son see here we're not verse 15 tells us we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear we don't need the rules to tell us how to behave and what to do because we as children know what's right and we follow the instructions of a father out of out of duty delight but not legal requirement we have freedom in contrast to bondage as a son. We are able to walk and be led of the Spirit and we can also boldly approach God and cry, Abba, Father. 
you know, Jesus only really referred to the Father this way. There's one time, can you think of a time where Jesus referred to God the Father by another title? It's on the cross where he was quoting Psalm 22 where he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the only time I can find where Jesus referred to God the Father by anything other than Father. And you might be able to correct me on that, and I'm happy for you too, but there's overwhelming use of that address by Jesus to, to God. And the Jews didn't hear people speak to God this way. It was an offence to them. Um, imagine a man speaking to their heavenly Father in such a way, because this isn't a formal address. This is a friendly, warm, familial address. It's like a small child would cry, Papa, Abba. It's a, a tender address, a personal address. Um, and in all of the legalistic formality of the Pharisees and the, the way of Jewish religious life, for Jesus to address God this way, and even for us to be able to come with the same kind of affection and tenderness to God is such a contrast to this formal religious world. We want to be very careful that we don't grow irreverent with our address to God but don't be so cold and formal that there is no affection. I would hate for you to start praying, Daddy God. That would be very unusual for us, wouldn't it? It'd be, be something that other churches might do. But don't pray to God in such a way that he remains far removed from you when he's adopted you as a son. And he wants you to approach him boldly because of Christ. Not because you are some noble person worth adopting into his family, but because he chose for those that trust Christ, he's going to adopt them and welcome them as sons and daughters into his family. Where we have assurance, you can see it here. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Those that are saved, those that are part of God's family, by the Spirit's ministry within us, are assured that this is true. His Spirit ministers or bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are assured of this. And as children, if we're saved, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That, that, I can't even comment on that right now. That is such a grand concept because I know that the glory that Christ deserves and the inheritance that he deserves to be even, even described to be a joint heir with the one who saved me. I can't even comment on that just yet. We are heirs with him and we have in verse 17, the privilege of ch as children to suffer with him that we may be glorified with him. So are you living up to your privileges? Are you a, a son that honors the father? It's really what we were looking at a little bit this morning towards the end, with our minds set on the things of the Spirit. Are you a son or a daughter who honours our Heavenly Father? Are you squandering your privileges? I mean, if, if God invites you to come boldly before His throne and to address Him as Abba Father, are you, are you, taking the, are you using the privilege of that close, intimate communication with the One who made you and the One who redeemed you? 
because wouldn't that be terrible if God's there saying, I just want, I just want you to come and talk. I just want to talk with you and I want, you know, I want to commune with you. I want to share with you. And I, I don't want to, he's God. He's like, he doesn't have to do any of that. But he shows his heart here. And we might just go, oh, I'm too busy. I don't want, like, isn't that great to not make the most of the privileges of sonship? To not come and run and embrace the one who has loved us so. Don't squander your standing. Don't run away from suffering. We're called here to suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. We'll talk about groaning and glory and and the the assurance of this whole scenario tomorrow morning. I want to make sure that you know that you need to be born again. And if you are, you have such wonderful privileges as part of the family of God. If you turn, please, to Galatians chapter 4 for a moment. And this was a lesson that I, I've learnt and relearnt in my Christian life. The Galatians were making a mistake. They were trusting Christ alone for salvation, but then they were trying to serve and trying to earn sanctification and be made, made perfect in the flesh. And they, they were striving and they were being quite legalistic in the way they were functioning. And here in Galatians 4, we're going to look at verse 6 and 7, but we're going to read from verse 1, talking about the difference between an heir and a servant. Okay, Chapter 4, verse 1, Now I say that the heir as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I have made the mistake of relating to God as a servant to a master when God wants me to relate to him as a son to a father. And there is a big difference. A servant is poor. Yes? A son is rich. A servant is bound to obey A son is free, but chooses to obey out of love for his father. How do you relate to God? I think it's when I'm struggling with sin and times in my life, and I've had those those times of discouragement, that I feel like the prodigal son. You know, you run to your father and say, make me as one of your hired servants. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. I've I've messed up so much. And God comes and says, hey, you're a son (laughs) and an heir. And I love you and I, I want to fellowship with you. Luke 15 tells us that story. We talked about it earlier in our conference. The son compared to the servant. Well, the son has the nature of the father, doesn't he? He's got the natural inclination of his father. We are made by, by the spirit partakers of the divine nature. Second Peter 1 verse 4 says, We're sons that have been made to partake of the divine nature. The law doesn't give people who try and keep it God's nature within only God's grace does that the son has a father while the servant has a master I said that 
The son obeys out of love, but a servant obeys out of fear. A son is rich, but a servant is poor. And we are rich. We've been made rich by his grace, by his glory, by his goodness, in his wisdom. And all the riches of God are found in Christ. And the son has a future, while a servant does not. Now, many masters back then would have maintained and provided for slaves into their old age. It was not required of them, but a father provides for the son. Now, the last thing I want us to see is that our adoption is really not yet final or complete in one sense, because when Christ returns and, our, and we receive the adoption that's promised, we read of it in Romans 8 for our last time tonight, Down into verse 23, we read right down here, talking, and we'll, we'll come back over those verses tomorrow morning, but verse 23, not they only, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. First John tells us, and you would know these verses, if you haven't memorized these, don't need to turn to chapter 3 here, but 1 John 3 verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth, not, uh, knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. That's a truth. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purify himself, even as he is pure. We are adopted. That happened the moment you trusted Christ, adopted into the family. But there is a sense where we are awaiting the revealing of that truth and that will happen when Christ comes back and we will be glorified and we will be made to be like him. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. God is a God of grace. You feel like Mephibosheth tonight? seated at the father's at the king's table keep that thought meditate on it because that wonder of adoption is such a privilege that we must maintain in our thinking that god is a god of grace and love and tenderness and he wants to relate to us as a father does a son you're a child of god a joint heir with christ and an inheritor to all that christ has in god and it is any wonder that paul could sing such praise as they understood this truth. We have a great God. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time tonight and I pray that the thoughts that we've, we've, we've considered, that they might linger in our minds and that we might recognise the privileges that we have in adoption, uh, the, the standing of sonship, the, the inheritance reserved in heaven for us, knowing that we are kept for the inheritance. Oh Lord, the tenderness with which you invite us into your presence. We thank you that you came, you sent your son to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.